Podcast where we talk rock and roll all night and podcast every day. Okay, maybe maybe not so much most of the time, but we are on this episode because we're talking about Rock and Roll High School, a movie from 1979 featuring the Ramones. I am your host, Colin Westman. I'm joined by John Ramone. Ooh, and Sean Ramon. Wow, I feel really stupid. I was gonna say Colin Ramon, but then I was <laughs> I was like, well, there is a Johnny Ramon in the Ramon, so it's not as unique if John just says John. I, I was gonna say Johnny Ramon, but then I feel like I'd have to pretend to be him. Yeah, and I don't really know where to go with that, aside from talking about how much I love President Bush. <laughs> I did see that in. Um, doing my research that when the rock the ramones were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame uh johnny ramone took his time at the podium to thank george bush for how he's handling running the country i think this was 2001 so you know i guess people liked bush as much as much as they ever did at that point would this be before before or after? It, it actually probably was before. I feel That's like... That's so weird. I feel like... I thought this was 2002. This was 2001? Maybe it was You're 2002. probably right. I'm not sure. I mean, it's possible they were, like, inducted in 2001, but the ceremony wasn't until 2002. Because I know Didi Ramon died, like, right after. Like, two months after the event. Yeah. And I know he died in 2002. Um, I don't know. Something... All I know is uh, God bless America and uh, George Bush. <laughs> yeah. What a... It's so weird. <laughs> that he's like... I mean, he was the only one that was like that. He was just a, an anomaly of a person. Like I know. A conservative punk rocker. He's still like in one of the coolest bands of all time, but is actually deep down a giant square. <laughs> it's... Uh... It's something else. Um, so before we get to talking about Rock and Roll High School, I will do my little pick, and then you guys will do your little picks also. Um, my little pick. Revealed all our secrets. I know. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> not a secret. It's usually pretty obvious. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. Um... So my little pick, yeah, it's not really rock and roll. It's a, it's, oh. it's a little bit country, <gasps> but oh. kind of not. Also, it's the new Casey Musgraves album. Uh. I finally uh, got to listening to more of it, um, and I like it. I think it's pretty good. I feel like the reviews haven't been quite as ecstatic as Golden Hour, but. You know, that was a huge album <laughs> that everybody liked and won a bunch of awards. Uh, I particularly love that album. I think it was like my number three album of the decade. So, you know, 
Casey Musgraves had it had it cut out for herself in in crafting follow up, uh, and of course the interesting thing about uh, this album is it is decidedly a breakup album um, as compared to Golden Hour, which was very much a album about being in love and uh, you know just having these these warm vibes that were connected to that and and it being mostly composed of love songs um so star-crossed like yeah it's it's kind of more of a downer album i suppose but i keep getting a bunch of the songs stuck in my head so it's clearly it, it's not that dour you know these are these are catchy songs like she's just a very good songwriter it's, I guess, I wasn't really sure whether to expect her to go more in a pop direction because there was definitely a lot of that on Golden Hour, and she definitely does that here and there. But but a lot of it is very chill. It's, it's very like laid back. I assume that's because you know she she talks a lot about how taking psychedelics is impacted her songwriting um i think i was also surprised because i i almost expected that because she had so much crossover success that she would like incorporate a bunch of pop songwriters and producers to work on this album but it seems like she just made it uh with with these two guys (laughs) ian fitchuk and daniel tashian that she just like wrote and produced all of Golden Hour with, um, so I don't know. She she still just sees herself as a singer songwriter, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I like it. I feel like it it maybe could be uh, like a, end up becoming an, an underappreciated album just because it's it's just not going to live up to Golden Hour. But I think it's got plenty of good songs on it that I like. I especially appreciate that like one of my favorite songs on it is called Justified and it's like yeah I I was just waiting for a country singer to write a song called Justified and and have it be great because I of course loved that TV show and Sean would always sing his own little Justified theme that wasn't actually the the theme to the show where you just always go Justified that's not really how this song sounds, though. Yeah. Well, the song sucks. This, oh, you mean the actual theme? Yeah, it's like rap, yeah. rap country, but not like... Not not as good as like Lil Nas X. This is just... It's just wrong. I just remember it being like, On this lonely road. It was like the first lyric. They should have got Justin yeah. Timberlake to do it. Oh yeah. His first album's called Justified. <laughs> it is. I don't know if there's a song on it called Justified. I'm looking, I'm looking. That's probably just because his name is Justin. Yeah. He's not really country enough though, even though he is I believe he's from the South. He's probably from Florida. Uh though I feel like he made 
an album later that was called like Man of the Woods. Oh yeah. It was like his folklore before folklore happened. <laughs> Remember when no, they made the Super Bowl and everyone was yeah. like, boo. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, I'm going to make this boo. very Man of the Woods focused. No one's into it. Can't imagine why. All right, Sean, you go. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you're going to write this one down, uh, but like a lot of people... Uh, I was confused and saddened to hear that uh, Norm Macdonald had died yeah. earlier this week. And um, I don't know what to recommend because the dude like had a bunch of shows, but they all lasted like a week. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he wrote and starred in a movie after he left SNL called Dirty Work, which s- sounds like it's probably like okay, but I've, I've never seen it. Seen it so I I'm not prepared to recommend it. Would you recommend it, John? In my memory, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, I looked at the tomato score to see that it was at 14, so it definitely <laughs> made me doubt that. But I remember yeah, but... it being funny. It's it's like on par with like a like a like a Billy Madison or you know any kind of 90s Adam Sandler movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wouldn't put much stock in a Rotten Tomato score for a comedy movie. Especially a movie that was like predates when people like considered tomato scores like a thing. Yeah, well, but also like, how many film critics do you really think you have the same sense of humor as? Uh, none, I would none. assume. Yeah, probably none. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think what a lot of people have been doing uh, have been just mourning him by watching uh, old talk show appearances which i think is where uh norm was at his strongest um because it's his bizarre brand of like anti-comedy um worked really well in that context and uh there's there's so many uh infamous uh appearances he's made on on shows i think conan was was my favorite host to see him interact with but uh he, he also was on uh, Letterman a whole bunch uh, as well, and I think both those iconic talk show hosts consider him to be among the the best guests they ever had. Um, also, I remembered and found this old appearance of him on uh, The Daily Show in 2006, around the time of uh, when the the crocodile hunter died, and uh, Norm just goes out there and does like two minutes of jokes about his death um, and John Stewart is so uncomfortable he's like please don't make me laugh at this um, and it, it just sent me back in time because I, I totally remember staying up late to watch that daily show and, and laughing so much at that uh, I think my favorite though of his uh, appearances are uh, a, a mid 90s uh, episode of Conan where he uh I, I like after his appearance, he just stays on the and uh, on the couch, and Courtney Thorne Smith comes out, and he absolutely derails her interview with Conan by shit talking basically everything she's working on in his own way that you know clearly doesn't mean any uh, ill will towards her, but it's just, <laughs> it's absolutely ruining everything she's promoting. That's a good uh, clip because she's like in a carrot top movie. <laughs> yeah. She's in a carrot top movie, which both Norm and Conan can't get enough of. Um, 
yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really great, and it's it's, it's weird how uh, you know it seems like every week a, a famous celebrity dies, but there are only a, a few of them that sort of it feels like the whole culture mourns. And uh, I've just been kind of surprised that Norm Macdonald is one of those people. Uh, the like the 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 front page of of my version of Reddit at least has been covered with these um, of these appearances of his, and I see it all over Twitter as well. Um, I, I had no idea that this kind of um, alternative guy was actually so hugely popular with uh, well, at least with our generation. Uh, if not just the culture in general and uh it kind of feels nice but it's also you know really sad to hear that he was sick for such a long time and he died at uh, you know still a relatively pretty young age he's only 61 years old so uh yeah well that's that's my recommendation i guess just like google norm mcdonald stuff and, and watch it that's what i've been doing yeah me too i've been watching some of those interviews as well I was already watching them off and on just in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, and then for my little pick, I think this segues pretty well into our movie uh, for this episode because I watched mm. End of the Century, the story of the Ramones. <laughs> ah. This is a 2003 documentary about the history of the Ramones. And I think it's notable because it's some of the last interviews of Dee Dee and Johnny Ramone. Dee Dee actually dies while they're making the documentary. So oh, they man. have like literally his last interviews. And then Johnny Ramone died a, like a year later, maybe. Um, and then of course, Joey died in 2001. So God, they all died like so close to like the main guys all so close to each other. And I mean, it's a pretty standard documentary. And honestly, it's kind of like, lo-fi like a lot of like consumer looking cameras and i'm like why is this close-up so close (laughs) but the interviews are good um what's cool is you can actually watch this for free on the director's vimeo page Mm. uh jim fields i don't know if there's some issue with right so he's like fuck it i'm just putting it on my vimeo page (laughs) because you can't watch it like anywhere else i think it's also on youtube but like when you go to like just watch to see what services have it you can't even like rent it anywhere Hmm. I've um, but, seen this and yeah. it's uh, one of the few music documentaries I can remember renting from Blockbuster. Really? <laughs> on That's... DVD. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were watching it was like new, relatively. I think it was a few years old at that point. When did this come out? You said 2003. 2003. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I probably rented it in like I don't know 2000. Six or seven, maybe. And even though I feel like I didn't learn a whole lot that I didn't already know, I think it does help put the Ramones into perspective, like in terms of. I always forget, like, their first album came out before that first Sex Pistols album. Like, they were kind of mm-hmm. like the first of that 70s punk explosion. Like, they talk about in the documentary how they, they first started playing shows, and there's no one like them. And then just a couple years later, there's tons of bands that are like them. You know, like just a year or two later, it's like, oh, here's the Clash, here's uh, Bad Brains, all these other bands coming out. Yeah. So highly influential. And another thing I really liked in the documentary is they had like early footage of like one of their first shows, hmm. and they're a fucking mess. And they, 
they don't seem to get along very well with each other. There's this great clip where Joey Ramone's like, um, okay, next, I want to go down to the basement. Like They're going to do their song, you know, I don't want to go down to the basement. And then Tommy Ramone is like, no, we're, we're playing loudmouth. <laughs> and, then, and then Johnny's like, yeah, we're playing loudmouth. <laughs> and then Dee Dee is like, no, I want to play. I want to go down to the basement. And then he just says, fuck you all. He goes, one, two, three, four. And they start playing, I don't want to go down to the basement. Uh, they start like, arguing about what song they're playing on stage. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of my main takeaway from the document. It was just like how like sort of dysfunctional they were and how like different all of their personalities were kind of to the point where it's surprising that they stayed together as long as they did. Well, I think that's that's like the one positive thing uh like well, I mean multiple positive things about Johnny Ramone is he like kept them like together and focused. Yeah. Um Whereas, you know, Joey's more of kind of like a free spirit and kind of like a quiet loner. And then Dee Dee's like your stereotypical punk musician doing drugs and stuff. Yeah. And somehow they all like came together and and performed for so many years. And it was really interesting. And then they all died. It sucks. <laughs> Except for Marky. Marky, who's Marky in this Ramon. movie. Yep. Oh, Marky. Would have been probably not that long after he took over. I think he joined in 78, right? That's right. When yeah, they did you're Road right. to Ruin. Heavily featured in this movie. Uh, yeah, because that would have been the newest album. Uh, they have the cassette. That's true. I mean, they show like all of their albums, especially when they burn all of them at one point. <laughs> but yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Okay. Well, hell yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. So, I guess what's interesting to me about this movie is it 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 kind of sees the uh, I don't know these two worlds colliding that seem very different from each other. What one being the New York punk scene of the nineteen seventies, and the other being the low budget uh, B movie world of Roger Corman. Uh, and like watching this movie I, I knew that um, Joe Dante was involved with it and watching it I thought like oh this reminds me a lot of the, the kind of the Joe Dante style just because it's very much a live action cartoon but I found out that it seems like the director of the movie like the main director um, Joe Dante directed some of it um but the main director of the movie, Alan Arkush, seemed to be like the 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 mastermind behind Rock and Roll High School. Um, and he didn't do a ton after this movie-wise. It seems like he mostly worked in TV uh, for the majority of his career. So you know, he, he, the the Corman factory, as it were, is known for birthing a lot of. Uh, famous directors like Scorsese and Coppola and James Cameron and Jonathan Demme but I guess Alan Arkish just wasn't one of those big names but he still managed to uh, make this fun little movie um, he made heart beeps heart beeps <laughs> you've never heard of heart beeps I've never heard of heart beeps 
Um, well, it's a critically panned movie from 1981 where Andy Coffin plays a robot. Oh, yeah. They were talking about this on Blank Check the other week. <laughs> yeah, they were. I think because they were talking about how it got an Oscar nomination for makeup. But that's a yeah, piece of shit. That's nuts. He also made the movie Death Sport, which looks cool. I guess Ooh, was, that sounds good. It was like a follow-up to Death Race 2000, I Yes. Oh. Yeah. And you know who directed Death Race right. 2000? I don't know if I do. It's Paul Bartel, who's the uh, the teacher in this movie. Oh, who, uh, nice. Learns how great rock music is. <laughs> that guy. He's so good. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to talk about Paul Bartel a little bit. Okay. Good, because I don't I don't know that I <laughs> found a lot of. Uh, information on him uh but anyway alan arkish he grew up in new jersey being like pretty obsessed with rock and roll and like you know the 60s version of of rock and roll like the british invasion and stuff um he like he said something he kind of dreamed about was having one of his favorite bands come and play at his high school like the rolling stones or the yardbirds or something um he eventually worked as an usher at the Fillmore East uh, from 1968 to the early 70s, um, which would have been in New York, where he saw like a bunch of the biggest acts of that era. Uh, he then ended up going to NYU Film School, and then after graduating, got Got started working at, at Roger Corman's production company, kind of just doing like a little bit of everything, which seems like was the case with a, a bunch of the other directors and writers and stuff who who work for Roger Corman. Um, so he, he would just be like ans- answering phones and editing trailers. And eventually, after working at New World Pictures, uh, Corman's company for a while, uh, he co-directed the movie Hollywood Boulevard with Joe Dante, which sounded funny because it was made based on a bet between uh, Roger Corman and this other producer that they could make the cheapest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> and this was accomplished by extensive use of footage from other uh, <laughs> New World <laughs> films uh, I don't think they succeeded though it says the budget was uh, $54,000 you, you can make a movie for less <laughs> maybe not in the 70s well since now you gotta, yeah. you gotta pay for film but that's still pretty cheap I guess um, and then uh, Arkish he also worked second unit on the movie Grand Theft Auto, which was a Corman movie that was Ron Howard's directorial debut. Uh, and then he co-directed uh, Death Sport, which I'm sure is amazing. <laughs> it sounds really good. Yeah. Uh, the poster looked good, too. Yeah, it's just like a fucking guy on a motorcycle. It looks like he's got a lightsaber maybe I don't know he's either got a lightsaber or like a flare gun you know what's great is he's turning around on his motorcycle as it's firing a missile (laughs) shit it is 
In the year 3000, there'll be no more Olympic Games, World Series, or Super Bowl. There'll only be death sports. <laughs> Damn, we're not going to make it. Yeah. 3000? That's so long from that. Going to make it to 111. I'm confused. I thought the first one was called Death Race 2000. Is this not? Is this just like a spiritual sequel? Oh, it is. It is. I think so, yeah. Because David Carradine is playing a character with a different name. Because I remember in the first one, his name's like... Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> Wait, this, yeah. this is supposed to be David Carradine we're looking at? This Arnold Schwarzenegger looking dude? I think so. <laughs> Firing the missile. Yeah, he has a great name in Death Race. It's, um, it just says Frankenstein. Yeah, I guess his name was just Frankenstein. <laughs> Still a good name. Sylvester so Stallone played Joe Machine Gun, Machine Gun Viterbo. Oh, well, wow. hell yeah, dude! Also, Mary Warrenov is in Death Race, and she's uh, in this movie. I guess her and Paul Bartel were like just Corman Company players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this movie gets made, I think, just just because Alan Arkish like wanted to make a rock and roll movie and Roger Corman or, or maybe just a movie about music in general and Roger Corman was interested in the idea of making a teen movie just because that was something he had done more in, in earlier in his career is make movies about teens he also wanted to cash in on the success of Grease and Saturday Night Fever which is why he originally wanted to make a movie called Disco High uh, but oh. <laughs> But Alan Arkish and Joseph McBride, the original screenwriter for the movie, like they, they couldn't see kids blowing up a school over disco. <laughs> Which I, they knew they had to blow up a school. Yeah, like they. I think Roger Corman was like a little skeptical about like what's what's this movie gonna be, guys? Like it's it's not death sport. What what are we gonna give the audience here? And they were just like, we're gonna have these kids like protest their teachers and blow up the school and he was like all right get to work (laughs) so yeah they they get started writing or, or working on ideas for a script something that was really weird to me was that because of this like way that Roger Corman had of getting away or getting around paying writers was I guess whatever I'll I'll just read to you what uh, the screenwriter said in an interview he said the way Roger Corman worked around Writers Guild of America rules which required he pay about $8,000 when he commissioned a screenplay from a guild member was to pay $200 to someone to talk a script into a tape recorder that a secretary would then type up. Then Roger would hire a guild member to write the actual script for a $4,000 rewrite fee uh, instead of paying them $8,000. Which, uh... That's so gross. Yeah, that's not something any any union... (laughs) heads would be happy about so i mean especially at the writers guild uh so i guess 
at, at first Alan Arkish and Joe Dante they they just talked out the entire plot of the movie into a tape recorder that a, that a secretary recorded and then Joseph McBride who who seemed pretty involved in the, in the conception of the movie wrote the screenplay but would only get paid $4,000 for it um, so yeah, this this has a very you know Roger Corbin fast and cheap aesthetic to it, even though it, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like they went all out. Um, it only took twenty three days to shoot, which is pretty fast. But uh, I guess there are movies that have been made in less time. I mean, it's almost entirely set the school, so that's true. In a concert venue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, shooting those musical scenes, like some of them seem a little elaborate. You gotta do like staging and blocking. And There's that one scene where they're like in the school and they're like being pulled down the hall, like on a moving platform. Yeah. <laughs> that shit ain't free. True. That's cool. Uh, what also ain't free is getting the Ramones to be in your movie, which be fair it's probably a little cheaper than kind of the other big bands of the era um i guess the other two artists that were kind of floated before the ramones was cheap trick and todd rundgren those make no sense yeah well actually cheap trick makes some sense except cheap trick's not like i don't know if they're cool enough they're not cool maybe they were then i don't i don't know cheap trick doesn't seem so bad because the like you know, Rick Nielsen and, and Bunny Carlos. Like, they're they're kind of cartoon characters. <laughs> but then you got the two handsome guys. I just... The two handsome guys. I just feel like the Ramones are so rebellious. Like, like a, like an adult sees a picture of the Ramones instantly like, ugh. That's Whereas true. I feel like Chip, Chip, Cheap Trick is like, oh, these two young handsome gentlemen. <laughs> and then they look at the back of the album cover and they're like, ugh. But... <laughs> you know, just like... I feel like the Ramones have that bad boy image. Yeah. I don't... Todd Runger makes no sense. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, he barely why. even rocks. Like, I like He Todd doesn't want to work. He wants to bang on his drum all day. That's yeah, basically the thesis that of the movie. Yet. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> I, I, like, I was trying to rack my brain, like, thinking, who else could have possibly done this? And it's so hard to think of another band that would be as good. Even someone like... Kiss, I feel like, would be cheesy. It's like, suddenly this would be a movie for children. Yeah, I I definitely thought of Kiss. Because, I mean, unlike the Ramones, they were actually a band that was, like, super popular with teenagers. Uh, And, of course, I also couldn't help but think about uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, which came out, I think, a year before this. And it's (laughs) just a giant piece of shit it's the kind of movie you watch and you think like maybe this will be so bad it's good and it's just boring it's so boring it's terrible i didn't even finish it have you finished watching that movie i did i reviewed it on our website (laughs) yeah i had to i'm not gonna write a review of a movie i didn't finish watching (laughs) i think i gave it a one star Mm -hmm. which feels like too much i think because i like some of the, the the rock scenes yeah, I also like the part when the robots who become the fake Kiss mm-hmm. sing like uh, a different version of a Kiss song, and the the fans boo them. 
Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. They know it's not Kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, my thing with Kiss is, like, yeah, they were so popular because they were popular with, like, four-year-olds, too. <laughs> the Ramones is... There's some edge there. Yeah. And, like, Corman, like, that's kind of like a, you know, it's B-list, kind of underground, kind of edgy uh, studio. It's like a perfect uh, blending. It makes total sense. I yeah. can't believe they ever considered other bands. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just I'm just pleased that this movie was ever made, to be honest. Like, yeah. It just it does, does seem like a movie that shouldn't exist. Yeah, like to, to have this band that was not super popular at the time, but has become, you know, one of the legendary rock bands as, as time has gone on. Like to have them in a a hard day's night style rock movie is is wild that it happened um, and, and it is almost like the movie takes place in a world where the Ramones like right will rightfully were massively popular and teens loved them do you think they tried to get Paul McCartney in wings <laughs> I, I don't Sean. <laughs> judging the by movie does open with a Paul McCartney song true but, I mean, judging by how much Roger Corman was willing to spend on this movie, I can't imagine <laughs> Paul McCartney would be a cheap get. It is. They got that song. Yeah, it is interesting that they did shell out the money for, like, a lot of pretty good rock songs uh, from some of the bigger artists. I mean, honestly, a lot of artists that are bigger than the Ramones. <laughs> You know, I think Alice Cooper would have worked for this movie, too. Mm. I still think The Ramones is a better choice, but that's another one that I, I feel like could have made some sense. That, yeah. That I think about it. Also, since we mentioned Paul McCartney, that's where The Ramones got their name, from one of Paul McCartney's mm. aliases, Paul Ramone. Mm-hmm. I believe he uh, recorded it on like, a Steve Miller band album. He did some... Helped out on a track, and it's credited as Paul Ramone. Oh, it's not like that's the uh, the artist who replaced Paul when Paul died. <laughs> mm, I'm sure there's some theories about that, but I don't know them. I thought it was some pseudonym that he used when they were like in Hamburg or something. Like they all chose very. Uh, I think both. I think that's the well, that's the uh, origin. But yeah. he did use it once on a Steve Miller album. <laughs> okay. I did not know that. Well, Steve Miller sucks, so... Hey. Yeah, I guess. I kind of like I was trying to think of one good song. Making me crazy. Yeah, what's a Steve Miller song? Sean singing Jungle Love, which I do like. Yeah. I do like uh, Keep On Rockin' because it mentions Tacoma. Oh, yeah. Washington. Do you think when he goes and plays that on... Like when he goes on the road and like if he plays in Tacoma, do you think like he puts extra emphasis on saying Tacoma? <laughs> like the whole band just screams. All the Tacoma. way to all the instruments drop out and he goes Tacoma and he goes whoa! Stop for applause break. Maybe it's it's tough if you're Phoenix though because then you gotta stop so soon. Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so The Joker, Take the Money and Run, Rockin' Me, Fly Like an Eagle, Jungle Love. That's five good songs they've got. That's like, I mean, it's gotta be the threshold. 
don't know if I like the Joker I mean, at this point. <laughs> I don't like the Joker anymore. It's it's That's just not their fault. So much dad rock. I don't know. This is tough. I do like Fly Like an Eagle, Eva. It is, I mean, these are all a little cheesy. These aren't cool yeah, songs. of course. <laughs> That's the appeal of, of dad rock and yacht rock and all the other fun genres you get to grow into when you get out so. of <laughs> When it's super. I'm going to start a Steve Miller cover band. It's called Miller Time. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's the kind of humor that they would like. Do you think Steve Miller band could have done this movie? No. <laughs> for all for all the reasons you were just talking about. <laughs> you would have been on the on the the bad guy's side. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the one piece of musical history I need is did the song Rock and Roll High School predate this movie or was it written for the movie? That's a good question. I don't know if I it is. It is a tough uh, question because they didn't have a recorded version of this song until an album that came after this movie. But like, uh, but yeah, I, I do wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, "Hey, Ramones, can you write a song called Rock and Roll High School?" I don't know. I was hoping I, you'd know, Colin. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of assume that it was for the movie because it looks like the first appearance of it was. On this album? Hmm, maybe not. Well, also that's... I was going to say, also that song they play in PJ Soul's uh, Bedroom is um, only like a bonus track on like re-releases of End of the Century, which is that album that came after this one. So that was for this movie. Okay. So I can imagine they wrote like a couple for the movie. Yeah... Yeah, it says on Wikipedia that they uh, recorded three versions of it. Uh, the first version was not released until 1988 when it was on Ramones Mania. The second version was produced by Phil Spector. Yeah. Uh, uh, who would also go on to produce End of the Century, where the third version of the song debuted. So. Sounds like the first release was for Rock and Roll High School, so I, I think it was written for this movie. It's a pretty good title track. Um, so yeah, it sounded like Alan Arkish was already a, a, a Ramones fan and of the the budding NYC punk scene. Um, so he got in touch with the record label. Uh, he met them backstage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and and he just like kind of talked to them about his ideas for the movie, uh, and then at the end of it, uh, Johnny Rone just said, "So are we gonna make this movie or what?" And <laughs> so they made they made the movie. Uh, I guess. Uh, oh. <laughs> It's funny hearing a, a, a little bit uh, from Alan Arkish. He, he he did like a lot of interviews around the 40th anniversary of uh, of this movie, and they they came out with a Shout Factory Steelbook Blu-ray that I kind of want now. Looks like it oh, has a I'm bunch aware. of a bunch <laughs> of making of documentaries and stuff. Um, so anyways, Alan Arkish, he's said that he was hoping the Ramones would be witty like 
the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> but as uh, Joseph McBride, the screenwriter, recalls, when the Ramones showed up, they could hardly talk. They were not verbal people, actually rather monosyllabic. So Alan was smart enough to work around that. Um, one of Jean Renoir's pieces of advice was never change an actor to fit the script. Change the script to fit the actor. Uh, Arkish said, Dee Dee was not really capable of sitting there and reading a script. John was, but he wasn't interested and he was bored. Uh, they didn't want to rehearse, although I tried to go over some of their lines, but that was kind of useless after a while. Uh, when we shot a scene, they either said it well or they didn't. I don't know if we're going to talk about this now or we probably maybe want to get a little more into the movie, but we got to talk about these acting performances <laughs> from the Ramones. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll, we'll get there. Um, okay. So I think we could go through the plot a bit. So it starts off with the school calling a board meeting uh, to welcome their new principal, Miss Togar, because Mm -hmm. all the old principals that have worked there have gone insane. And so there's this old principal sitting in the room who's like in a straitjacket. Um, also, they're feeding him. They're feeding him like <laughs> yeah. in, invalid, I guess. Uh, does, does anyone get why it's called Vince Lombardi High School after the famous coach? Is that just like it's no. an all-American kind of name? Yeah, I think it's just just a choice. Not, it's, it's no real. I think meaning it, there. Did Vince Lombardi Ties. hate rock and roll? Maybe. I would assume so. Not, not that I know much about Vince Lombardi. I think it ties into an interesting aspect of uh, the 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 students in this movie, which maybe it's just because it's not the eighties yet and they haven't developed these stereotypes. But like the main cast are, I mean, it's a rock and roll chick, but there's also like a nerd and a jock and uh, you know a, a geeky freshman. And they seem to like all be on the same side. They don't have the the typical like divide into cliques that hate each other thing that so many of these movies have. That's true. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird that the jock guy is very, like, insecure. This guy's a fucking dork. (laughs) I like this performance, but this guy is such a fucking twerp. Vince Van Patten. Yeah. From the the legendary Van Patten family. (laughs) Who else is in the Van Patten family? Well, there's obviously there's Dick Van Patten from Eight is Enough. (laughs) I think that must be his dad. Okay. Here's, I don't want to go on a tangent, but this is go a brief on. one. Go so, on. a handful of years ago, we saw the movie Class of 1984, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the villain in that movie is played by Tim Van Patten, okay. who uh, went on to be like a director. He like works on Sopranos and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he looks a lot like Vince Van Patten. Certain, certain, you know, same kind of type, blonde, blonde guy, kind of douchey. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, these guys are probably brothers then. I was wondering how they're related. No, uh, Tim Van Patten is Vince Van Patten's uncle, despite being two years younger than him. I, I don't want to. I, I didn't look into more about that, but that's just fucking weird, dude. It happens. Also, but this guy's a fucking twerp, though. Yeah, but he's 
not rooting for him. He's somehow the quarterback of the football team. Somehow. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's like, I, I just want to get laid, but I don't know how. Help help me, Clint Howard. <laughs> oh, my God. We got to. Are we Are we already into it? We, we got to get to that point. All right. We're talking about yeah. Eagle Bauer. Before Before we get there, we, gotta, <laughs> we also got to talk about Riff Randall. One of the greatest oh, names yeah. in movie history and a great character. Uh, she's just a rock and roll super fan. She's got like great outfits. They're all very colorful, lots of spandex. She's always wearing her, her Chuck Taylors. She's got like a like sequin coat that has like musical notes on it. Um, she's played by PJ Souls, who I think I just know from Halloween. Um, Stripes. Stripes. I guess she's in she's Carrie, in Carrie also. too. Yeah. yeah. So she, she, she was having a good run in the late 70s. She's like 28 in this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, she definitely embodies a teenage spirit. So I, oh, I perfectly didn't, cast. I didn't yeah. even think about it. Yeah. You can get away with it in the 70s, too, because everybody looks fucking old and tired. Everybody looks fucking old. <laughs> Look at Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. She actually like was a teenager, and she looks like old. Like everyone just fucking looked old, man. Fucking Clint Howard is like nineteen. Oh my! So Clint Howard is an adult baby. He's it's impossible to tell how old he is in this movie. I can't tell if he's like eighteen or thirty-eight. Yeah. Anyways, Riff weird Randall. Weird looking man. Riff Randall. She's just like playing a bunch of Ramones music over the PA. Uh, she's yeah. got a friend who's kind of nerdy. Her name's Kate. Um, Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo. <laughs> uh, so hearing this music, Miss Togar like interrupts them all dancing and stuff, and gives them detention, and is just like uh, just ass- asserts her her will to to not have any of these these rock and roll shenanigans in her school. Um, yeah. So then I think we're introduced to Tom. He's like talking to some girls. And he just keeps about the weather. Keeps yeah. looking at their boobs. Cause he's a he's just a horny perv, but also a, a dork. I will say I was relieved that this movie is like a little horny, but not like problematically horny. <laughs> like yeah. like a Kentucky Fried movie or like you know a lot of those late 70s like super horny comedies that they're doing it doesn't even have one random throwaway scene where a woman just runs out with her with her boobs out. yeah no like nudity so many of those movies do so I appreciated that this movie was not there's really only one at least for me only one joke in the movie where I'm like eh that probably wouldn't fly today are you thinking of the uh, the scalper joke? Yes, <laughs> and, you know it, the thing is, I think it is a good joke, but it's like, um, but I don't know. Uh, it feels like something that would be in a Zucker Brothers movie. Yeah, I mean, I also kind of think of the fact that like the the hall monitor guys are like body search. <laughs> yeah, they're little pervs, but I'm pretty glad that they get their comeuppance in the end. Did you know Those that guys have big bulk and skull? And... <laughs> yeah. Do you know the guy? Uh, he's basically the skull of that partnership. Uh, Lauren Lester is the voice of Robin on Batman the Animated Series. Oh wow, Lauren Lester! Cool. I was like, I know that name. I was like, really? That twerp is Robin? I actually, no, that checks out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, those guys are. Those guys are fucking. I don't like those guys. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Boy Scout outfits. <laughs> um. So we learned that Tom has like a secret crush on Riff. Uh, so he goes to talk to Eagle Bauer, played by Clint Howard. Has... I love everything about this. Yeah. You want to explain? I love him? I love any piece of media where there's like school like has like an economy or like a business. Like that like it reminds me of that cartoon recess where like everybody had like their own like shtick. Mm-hmm. Like I sell this. Like Eagle Bauer, you go to the, the, the boys' restroom. There's all these guys that have like taken a line like they're at a deli. There's like, a, taking numbers. A secretary out front. There's a secretary. Yeah. Who is an adult woman. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, when the fuck does this guy go to class? Does he go to class? Does he just run a business in the bathroom? And then when Tom says, like, oh, I've got, like, sexual like, problems, uh, they're like, oh, my God, like, red light goes off. He has to go to the front of the line. He has to go right in immediately. And then we get to see that some of Eagle Bauer's other business ventures are, like, forging like hall passes and like giving test answers and stuff and mm-hmm. talking about how numbers are down with the current administration yeah. and by the way that prop makes no sense that chart does not <laughs> make the point he's trying to make. <laughs> as, as a data visualization professional well Sean give him some credit he that. never goes to class it's probably not very smart yeah for all he knows this business is doing very well because he is not reading that correctly and Tom wants to be with Riff, but he recommends uh, Kate Rambo, and he's got like a picture, and there's like there's like voiceover, like it's a game show or something, yeah. like talking about her. I love that this movie is like this isn't real life. No, not at all. <laughs> this is a fantasy world. Yeah. I appreciated that big airplane energy, or, or you know, just Zucker Brothers energy in general. Mm-hmm. It's, Ar- it's Arkish energy. You know, I'll give him that credit. Okay. Big Arkish energy. Big Arkish energy. <laughs> Love Clint Howard. Yeah. He's great. He's fun. Um, I'm glad that he's, like, in the rest of the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Also because it came up when we talked about um, Candyman, uh, about how movies get confused about what, what happens at high school and what happens at college. I do. I did just want to bring up that there's one part where they mentioned that uh, Kate Rambo is a major in chemistry, which comes up at the end of the movie. But also, you don't declare a major in high school. What the hell are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, connected to that is it's also weird that there's a class in the school that only studies music history. <laughs> And it's like a sit-down yeah. class. Like, it's not in a band room or anything. It doesn't seem like they're going to play any instruments at any time. But there's this music teacher who's just talking about Beethoven. That's something I noticed, too, with how much these kids, like, ostensibly hate school. Uh, it doesn't actually come up. And you don't even really see them go to normal classes. You only see them in electives. They only go to the fun classes. Like, they go to a music class in PE. Doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. Like the the only way we know that there are is normal school going on is there is a great math book joke. Um, about halfway through the movie, Do you guys remember this joke? I don't. I don't. Remind me. Uh. So. I want to get the line right. Uh, I, I believe Kate says, look at your math book. It looks brand new. Bet you've never even opened it. 
And then Riff says, I only use it on special equations. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Only Norm MacDonald was alive to hear that joke. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, love it. He, he, he was when this movie came out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Maybe he saw it. Maybe he didn't. Who knows? Also, since we touched on the music class, I will say Paul Bartel uh, is probably my favorite character in this movie as the professor, uh, Mr. McCree. Yeah. Um, I know him just from like a, a bunch of bit parts in like Joe Dante and Roger Corman movies. Of course, we mentioned he directed Death Race. He directed a movie called Eating Raul, which is in the Criterion Collection, which has been on my shortlist mm. forever. Mm. It stars him and Mary Warren of, who's the principal in this. Mm. Um, I think probably Dick Miller's probably in there too. He's in everything. Yeah. But my favorite Paul Bartel performance, actually, this might be my favorite, but the <laughs> second favorite is. He's, of course, in Gremlins 2 as the theater manager who gets Hulk Hogan because the Gremlins are ruining the movie. <laughs> wow. In a scene that I think is AFI's greatest scene of all. <laughs> I had to rewatch that scene recently. And it's so good. Hulk's like so pissed. He's like talking to the screen, ripping his shirt off. Mm-hmm. He calls them the Grimster. Who oh, Grimster? You want to take on the Hulkster? People came here to see Gremlins 2 in peace. <laughs> yeah. God, I wish there were more movies like Gremlins 2 and Rock and Roll High School. <laughs> just totally <laughs> zany watched... off the wall. Just insane yeah. comedies. <laughs> Last time we watched Gremlins 2, I just remember being like, wow, another bit? Like, does this movie have like a plot? <laughs> it just keeps going. It's almost exhausting. There's like, they shot so much. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I got to that point when we when like Gremlin was being like stuffed into like a shredding machine. Crazy movie. Yeah. You can see the Dante influence in Rock and Roll High School, definitely. For and the sure. fact that he like did like Dick Miller's in it. Yeah, Dick Miller. Yeah. It's a small role, but yeah. He's got his favorites. Mm-hmm. Um so at some point we learned that Riff is an aspiring songwriter, and she's she's written a song called Rock and Roll High School, and uh, mm-hmm. that she's like kind of in love with Joey Ramone, I guess, who's a weird looking dude, but you know, there's something a little charming about him, I guess. Uh, and then there's also the scene where Miss Togar takes I guess it's like the hall monitors and uh, Mr. McCree and the uh, the PE teacher who's wonderfully named Coach Steroid uh, uh, wow she, she takes them to the science lab and shows her shows them like the effects of rock music and that they were doing experiments on mice where they played rock music for them uh, and she shows a little picture of the mouse having like a, a, a leather jacket and sunglasses on after he starts listening to rock. And uh, that's fun. There's also a later scene where she's exposing the mice to rock music and it shows that they explode. It's weird that they have both of those scenes. Yeah. Like, which is it? Do they become cool little <laughs> rock and roll mice, or do they explode? Or, well, it depends on the level of the rock and roll. Did you see yeah, this? Yeah, that's true. There's a meter. Yeah. I took a I, screenshot. I'm down. trying to send oh, it. Oh, John's got it too. 
Yeah. I took a screenshot, but it won't send in the Discord. Okay. Can um, you describe you've got it, it for us? Yeah, so the very bottom of the thermometer is Muzak. Mm-hmm. Um, should we switch off, John? <laughs> I only have the top um, five. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll do the bottom then. So it's Muzak at the very bottom, and then Pat Boone mm-hmm. and Debbie Boone slightly above. She rocks a little more. Mm-hmm. You get up to uh, to Donnie and Marie a little higher than that, and then Kansas and Peter Frampton, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, it cuts away to uh, to you have to see the, the top where John is. Okay, I have the top five. Uh, Led Zeppelin, which is insane that they're so low. This ranking's <laughs> bullshit. Because right uh, right above Led Zeppelin is Ted Nugent. Hmm. That like, one stood out to me too. I, I think it was just because he was especially popular at the time. Probably. But looking back, it makes no sense. I mean, come on, Led Zeppelin? They're so fucking loud. They're letting the lead out. Above Ted Nugent is Rolling there's Rolling Stones. Um, I don't know. Number two makes a lot of sense. It's the Who, of course. Yeah. They're so fucking loud. And but number one is the Ramones. They're at the top of the Rockometer. <laughs> I guess rock-o-meter, it's it's not just yeah. volume, it's just how much you rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of hard to to quantify. Yeah, or and also in in the in the vein of Ted Nugent, it might not be uh, tied to quality. Like maybe he rocks <laughs> even if he's not good. Hmm, that's, that's a, interesting. Interesting point of view. <laughs> I think we need an updated Rockometer, though. You guys, mm-hmm. I think I think ACDC yeah. should have been on this list. I guess they were they weren't super popular in America at this point. Yeah. Come on, the Nuge. Nah, dude. Nah, bro. All right. I want uh, to get one of these, though. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope somebody's made a Rockometer. That'd be fun. Because I need one. Ooh, somebody made a Punkometer. And it's pretty shocking. <laughs> the very bottom of the Punkometer is Blink 182. But just above them. Is the Ramones? <laughs> okay, fuck Third. this. Who's number Second one? The bottom. Uh, so then, it going up, it's Rancid, The Stooges, Bad Religion, Green Day, uh, The Clash, Black Flag, and then at the very top is the Sex Pistols. Fuck this. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... I feel like my hate for Johnny Rotten these days is making me like the Sex Pistols less historically. I still really love that al- that that one album, <laughs> but he's a piece of shit. But I think that's probably what he's going for. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of always been his thing. Uh, How the fuck's Green Day so high? Yeah, that's <laughs> truly puzzling. <clears throat> Uh, all right, so at a certain point, Riff Randall figures out that the Ramones are coming to town for a concert, and she wants to go, but in order to get tickets, she has to like go buy them during school, and none of the other people want to go, so she gets just <laughs> goes and camps out uh, at the venue. Which I guess was the only way to buy tickets in those days. Wait, Man. before before you yeah. get ahead, are we going to talk about the gym class scene? Um, or is that 
We, Remember? Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm drawing kind of a blank on the gym class scene. Other than that, they sing... Uh, what what song do they do there actually? They 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 do rock and roll. Rock and roll I but I, I I like that it's they're doing like shitty old timey like depression era music mm-hmm. in the gym while doing like really lame calisthenics, <laughs> and then when the gym teacher leaves and Riff starts singing rock and roll high school, like everyone's doing fucking backflips. <laughs> <laughs> it's like come on, they're getting a way better workout to this. Yeah. I just I just really liked how there's like backflips when they start doing that. Just wanted to to bring that up. It's a great it's a little sequence. Like I can imagine if this was an actual like Broadway musical, this would be a big scene. Oh god, yeah, I'd love to see this as a Broadway musical. I think it would work. There's a lot of great Ramon songs. I think you you just integrate more of them and you kind of expand the story a little bit. There's something there. Mm-hmm. Come on, Arkish, you can do it. Even off Broadway, that's okay. That's that's more punk, anyways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Riff has to sit in line. She sits in line. I guess this is well. Kate is like giving excuses to Mrs. Togar for like why she's Togar, gone, yeah. and she says like her mom's dead, her dad's dead, her fish is dead. Uh, and then uh, Riff eventually gets to buy the ticket. She buys a hundred for her classmates for a thousand dollars. Yeah. I don't know where she's getting all this money. I guess it probably wasn't that expensive to see the Ramones, but still. She does get reimbursed for them later when she comes back to school and she has all the tickets. Well, are we going to talk about them pulling up to the venue? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, so they, <sighs> they're they driving in a car. They're playing. Uh, they just want to have something to do? Yeah. And there's the line about eating chicken vindaloo. And and Joey's eating a big old drumstick while he's which isn't really what chicken vindaloo is. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like a big chicken leg. I mean, I guess you could have a chicken. It's like a, it's like most Indian dishes where there's like like a cream sauce with like ch- with like cut chicken and slices of chicken. But he's just fucking eating a. I think it was this movie is like you can tell sometimes when this movie is like pretty low budget and they're like okay, there's got to be something in the lyrics that we can kind of visually communicate on screen. <laughs> And this is basically all they came up with for this song. Because yeah. after they get out of the car, they're just kind of walking up to the venue. They're pumping their fists. That part's hella cool. <laughs> but, like, also, there's, like, not that many people there. <laughs> it's a little awkward. I, I feel like they could have... Sh- I think they tried to shoot it best they could to make it seem like there's a big crowd there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, I mean, it's, it's just like, the people who are lining up to buy tickets early. Mm. Yeah, but the fucking Ramones are driving down the street. <laughs> Well, they didn't know that. They didn't announce they were going to show up to the venue three days in advance or whatever. Well, I just feel like there's still there would have been more people in the line if this was like a, as big a band as they're trying to present them as. I I I, I mean I understand this is like budget. I, there's no point in having more people in the line because the first person in line is buying a thousand tickets. <laughs> well, they didn't know that, but I fucking love this song. I love this scene. It's it's a little weird that they do like the whole song. <laughs> It's like a long scene. Uh, But I love it. Uh, I would say that is a recurring theme now that the Ramones are in the the movie (laughs) for the rest of the runtime. I also think it's funny that like they're playing along, but like um, once they get out of the car, Marky's just like banging his drumsticks together. Like you're not still playing the drums. (laughs) 
It's amazing how how much presence they have in their music scenes. They're they're really good in those. They work so well. Yeah. And just whenever they act, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll be less of this. Yeah, it just like works well because their songs are very kind of about teenage angst or, or just like teenage shenanigans, you know, like <laughs> sniffing glue and. Uh, not wanting to go down to the basement. I don't, I don't know what that song's about. I think but. just visually too, they work so well on screen. Especially yeah. Joey. He's like he's like six foot six. He's so gangly. He's got the long hair, the sunglasses. He's like a movie monster walking up. He mm-hmm. looks great. And it's just like like for a band uh, so so associated with like authenticity, they like were also kind of like you know they had a uniform they they were almost like comic book characters or something yeah uh so yeah so it's the perfect fit with the, the tone of this movie um oh we also met angel dust oh yeah angel dust she's a, a she's the, the, the the number one fan of the remotes yeah so yeah i think miss togar finds out about the concert and makes uh riff and kate surrender their tickets and when they refuse uh the the creepy hall monitor guys do their body search thing gross gross guys uh and then we kind of cut back to tom he's just hanging out with eagle bauer he shows him his, his van that's all tricked out it's like of course a, he has a, van. a sweet like wizard painting on the side of it it's it's pretty cool i guess Uh, and then he like makes uh like tom and kate do this awkward like date while he's coaching them on how to date i like that scene i I thought that was i thought that was funny yeah (laughs) but like it pisses me off because i like I think she's so cute. I like Kate. I like that character a lot, but I hate Tom. I'm like, she can be so much better than Tom. He's such a piece of shit. Such a twerp. He doesn't even... He likes Riff. It's just... I mean, it's good... It's good uh, drama for the film that she wants to be with him, but he's kind of distracted by Riff. Yeah. I mean, it's just just good that Riff doesn't get with him, because she's just... She's way too cool. (laughs) She's way too... For this fucking dork. Yeah. Also, let's... I mean... They're both just trying to get laid, and they are not. A, there's not a lot of prospects at this school. Like, what other guys are there? Just Eagle Bauer, <laughs> and, the, and the dorky freshman that gets beaten up. Seems like, oh yeah, oh, yeah that he's guy. Beat up. By football players who just wear their full uniform like all day. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they're football players, they have their helmets and pads and everything. Yeah. That's the beginning of the movies. Guys in full uniform beating up on the nerd. A lot of burnouts. Yeah. No, no prospects. <laughs> but Eagle Bauer does show us all the ways to unhook various bras. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's a stud. <laughs> Obviously. It's good stuff. So then, yeah, Riff and Kate are driving around. Uh, and they hear this DJ is giving away tickets. Uh, if they can name the song, Riff names the song, obviously, so they get to go to the concert. 
There's also I was a little yeah. I was gonna say I was a little disappointed that she's like, oh, what is this? What is this? And it's the song on their most recent album. Mm. It's like I thought you were a super fan. Well, I mean, she knew it. That's more on the radio station's part that they didn't play a, a deeper cut, I guess. But it did I'm just, t- it she did... only got it because Kate read it off of the cassette. That's true. It took her a little bit. Maybe she just hasn't listened to the new album that much. She's more into the the early stuff. Yeah, never. <laughs> stuff from two years earlier. From, from, yeah. <laughs> um, and then. I guess is it before the concert that she has her weird fantasy scene with the remotes? Yes, yeah. I like this scene. Yeah, they're in her her room. Mm-hmm. In her, it's romantic. You got Joey kind of hovering over her as she's in bed, and then you got Johnny in the corner playing a guitar. You got Dee Dee in the shower, and you got Marky like on in the on the lawn. <laughs> Because that's the only place he can fit his drum set. Yeah. It's great. It's just like a cool music video. Mm-hmm. I feel like the music videos sequences in this movie are better than any other music videos they ever got to make later on. I don't know if you ever saw like 80s Ramones videos. They're always like super cheap. Yeah. These are like actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny that she's like so into him. I love it. Because he's such a dork. But he's... He's a cool dork. It's the power of rock. It can make even a dork cool. Uh, so yeah, then they have the the concert, which I like that uh, Mr. McCree shows up to. But he's wearing like a beatnik outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty fun. And, and do you remember who he gets to stand between at the concert? Oh, Jesus Christ. How could I forget that... <laughs> When they're filing into the concert, a giant mouse walks in, a human-sized white mouse, and they're like, no, 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 you can't get in. And then the mouse is like, don't worry about it. I got ear like headphones. So he puts those on, and they let him into the show. Um, and then <laughs> then he's between the mouse and the scalper at the show. <laughs> Yeah. Native American. They're all like hanging out. Um, the scalper's passing around a peace pipe. <laughs> okay, too problematic. Yeah, yeah. John, did you know who plays the mouse? No, who is it? It is Rob Botine. Rob Botine, makeup effects whiz. Yeah, so he also created the, the look of the mouse, I guess. Yeah. Um. I love this. He must have been pretty young. He must yeah. have been like 20 or 19 or something. It, that makes a lot of sense, too, because some of his uh, his earliest works were like on Piranha and The Howling, which are both Joe Dante movies. Mm-hmm. So there's a connection. That's so cool. Yeah. Wonderful thing that, yeah, I found out. I guess I, I noticed his name in the, the credits, and then I saw that he's also oh, credited as this, Yeah, the, totally uh, new to me. The mouse. Uh, so yeah, there's this concert. It's it's a pretty like uninterrupted for the most part. I guess there's some stuff going on with Riff and uh, what's, what's her name, the groupie, Angel Dust. How could I forget? because <laughs> Riff's just like trying to get her songs to the Ramones but their their manager won't won't let her in um, and this is 
uh, unlike I, I think all the other uh, musical sequences, is this is this seemed to be just a live performance. Um, it, it wasn't like lip synced or anything, as far as I could tell. Um, and it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I will say I love the Ramones, but it did. The pacing was kind of weird with this whole sequence. I'd be interested what you thought of this, Sean. This whole concert being in the movie. Well, it had this subplot going on where there's like chasing people around. I kind of feel like there wasn't enough of that, though. Or like the concert was too long or something. Mm. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it got to the point where they were like, we'll just put the lyrics on the screen to make this interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's the thing is I like there wasn't enough visually for for me going on. I do like yeah they have like they're playing teenage lobotomy and the lobotomy is showing up on the screen. That's cool. Um, there was the part where they play Pinhead and they get the the Gabba Gabba Hay song or sign out, and then there's like yeah. a guy who I guess is supposed to be the Pinhead, like he looks like Conehead, where he's got like a weird <laughs> giant cone shaped skull and he's bald i think that's something they like had in their actual shows later on yeah so pinhead's a respected member of the remotes community (laughs) it's uh it's good i don't know what made the concert scene work for me is the throwaway gags like how the two nuns had won the the tickets given away by charity and they look pretty psyched (laughs) (laughs) That's great, and and yeah, seeing uh, seeing Paul Bartel having a great time at the show is fun too. Yeah. He loves it. Also, I gotta point out on our Discord right now, Sean is uh, showing us that Alan Arkush has a letterbox page and that he reviewed a movie that he made, <laughs> which is Caddyshack Two. <laughs> gave it one star and said, "I should have never made this movie. There's only one caddy and no shack. What was I thinking?" <laughs> I love this. I this is going to be an instant follow for me after this podcast yeah. is Alan Arkish on Letterboxd. I mean, he seems like a a, a great dude. He he seems very proud of his move this movie and super pumped he that he got be. to make it. Um he he says that he also like feels good about the fact that a lot of the people who come up to him and and say that they love this movie to him uh you know, look up to Riff Randall is as like a female role model, so yeah, solid dude. I, I'm just kind of disappointed that he didn't get a little more success, like um, like Dante had. Like, yeah. seems like they were they kind of had the same starting point, but Alan Arkish got roped into so many bad projects. I guess that's all it takes. Is all it takes is like a couple bombs, and then nobody wants to work with that director anymore. Yeah, so just some bad luck. But at least this movie's good. So glad he likes rock and roll high school in his letterboxd review of it <laughs> he's a big fan it's pretty good it's a big fan he should be um nice his most watched actors of the year include robert ricardo and dick miller <laughs> oh. yeah i love it are we gonna talk about we should talk about them going backstage right or um riff going backstage and meeting the ramones yeah well I, yeah, she just meets them and they're eating pizza and she gives them uh, her lyrics um, and tells her about the song. But I, I want to take this moment to talk about these performances. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I, I've read I read somewhere once in the past that they try to give DD Ramon more dialogue, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't working. So basically, all he says is "Yeah, pizza." <laughs> so so DD's basically um, a teenage mutant ninja turtle in this movie. <laughs> That's the extent of his. I don't remember Marky really doing anything. It seems like all his dialogue is ADR. Uh, Johnny, I think, works the best as an actor because he has that deadpan delivery. Wow, this is your school? Cool. Like, it almost kind of, like, the fact, like, it makes so much sense that he said, like, I was bored when we made this because, like, it almost kind of works that he's kind of grumpy in this movie. And then Joey, like, is just, he's a goofball, but, like, I can't understand what the fuck he said. There's one scene where, like, she hands him the the lyrics, and I was trying to find the dialogue on IMDb, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And she and she and he's like, "Oh yeah, we'll uh, we'll take a look at the lyrics. We gotta like, go to some place, and then I'll uh, look at Rockwell High School later." <laughs> Just like that's the best take they had. I rewound because like, what did he say? <laughs> And it's just like, you know that like this is like a shoestring budget, so they can't afford enough film to keep trying this over and over again. Yeah. But it, it's it's kind of charming that like he's goofy and kind of bad. And now they're all kind of bad and like idiots like <laughs> off stage because, again, it just shows like when these guys are rocking out, they're like gods. But when they're not doing it, they're just a bunch of weirdos. Like, and I feel like that's kind of an yeah. interesting message. You know, it's like rock can make anyone cool, even if you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird guys. Weird guys. <laughs> I miss the good old days when movie pizza always looked disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Just like so much cheese. Like, it's really stringy. Yeah. Pizza's not stringy the, enough anymore. And people always have, like, seven boxes of pizza and they're all like crookedly stacked like they're smashed. They're all smashed. It's like it's for four people. Like they'd be fine with just one pizza. (laughs) Maybe they just eat a ton. No, because they don't they say one of the Ramones only eats pizza so they they eat a lot. (laughs) And and then who's the Ramone that like their manager is like shoving arugula in his mouth because it's not allowed. That's Joey the lead singer. Yeah, yeah, what the hell was that? He's just got to eat healthy because he's eating too much pizza. <laughs> yeah, I love that they're like helpless. It's mm-hmm. great. I don't remember how they actually, um, how Riff actually gets them to come to our school. Is it they like the song, so they come to the school? Yeah, that's the deal. Like the song, gotta come. I remember when I went to school. <laughs> yeah. I was looking up again more dialogue and they were like saying some jokes at the when they went to the school but like I couldn't like understand any of them when they were saying that at the school I can understand Johnny yeah like like I said I think he almost he's not good but he like kind of (laughs) works This is such a great part of the movie when they take over the school. I mean, this is like the whole third act of the movie, basically. So, Miss Togar's had enough. She uh, (laughs) plans a public burning of tons and tons and tons of Ramon's records. Um, Do you remember what she calls it? 
I don't. She calls it the final solution. That's <laughs> <laughs> dark. So yeah, what? They burn all the records. All of them. All of them. And then the kids are like, "Those are our records." Which I don't know how they recognize them specifically as theirs. But well, you do see that um, one of the records that Miss Togar holds up says "Riff" on it, just like markered on the oh, cover. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, which I guess was was the thing people did, just so they could keep track of whose records were whose. I guess if you had siblings or something. And you all had the same record. That's true. But maybe you'd forget who bought it. These things are important. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. Um, but yeah, then the, the students just like go wild. The Ramones are there playing in the hallways and stuff. Uh, Mr. McGree like rips off his shirt. I guess he's like, <laughs> there's an earlier scene where he's like... <laughs> just listening to Ramon's music with Riff and he's just ripping off all his clothes and then underneath <laughs> you see that he has a Ramon's t-shirt underneath and then he's just like partying so hard when the Ramones are performing in the hallways of the school it's great I think the Ramones are the Beethoven of our time yeah <laughs> <laughs> love a line like that so good but then, oh yeah, also in, in the midst of all this chaos, the, uh, the, the creepy hall monitor guys like try to stop the party, but then uh, when, when all the students find they're in a laundry cart, the Ramones themselves <laughs> launch the cart out of like a third story window. Yeah, attempted murder. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had it coming. Uh, and then when we see them later, they're like in a like cast in a wheelchair with an IV. So they lived, but they got pretty fucked up. I remember something with like the 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 locker rooms being like filled with bubbles too. That happens. <laughs> Sounds right. Also, Eagle Bauer like. Ties up the lunch ladies and throws food at them. Yeah, yeah. It all builds up though to what Kate's doing. Uh, well, yeah, but but first, before that, uh, Riff gets made an honorary member of the Ramones. <laughs> she gets her own leather jacket. Oh um, uh, yeah, she becomes Riff Ramone. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they just party hard. But then Miss Togar calls in the police, and the head of police is Dick Miller. He's like the chief, of course. Yeah. And then um, don't forget that the this is also when the news shows up, and our good friend Screaming Steve Stevens shows yeah. up. Yeah, I was like, who is this guy? Is this somebody? <laughs> they really make it seem like this is like we look at this great cameo we got from this notable actor. I don't know who this is. He's a real life DJ. Oh, okay, cool. I like that. He's good. I just I was like, who is this? Who is this? I think he might have been in Gremlins. Yeah, he was. He played Rock and oh, Ricky Rialto guy? in Gremlins. Oh, on the billboard where he's dressed like Indiana Jones. 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm going to try to find that billboard. <laughs> he is also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Whoa. Real, like on the radio or? Yeah. Hmm. Oh my god. But yeah, it is very weird because they don't really introduce him and they do allow him to carry the end of the film. <laughs> with important monologues. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Or I guess around the time they're doing all their partying, we see that Kate is working on some concoction in the lab. And then eventually after the school's been surrounded by the police, all the students kind of just like walk out basically in defeat. They're like, it's, it's fine. We're not going to listen to rock and roll anymore. Uh, but then <laughs> fucking blow up the school. It's amazing. Yeah, making a bomb. Yeah, something I learned is that uh, this was a school that had like shut down like a couple years earlier, so they actually blew up this school. <laughs> wow! In the making of this movie, man, That's pretty insane. awesome. Yeah, I sort of feel like the explosion should have looked better, but. <laughs> yes. It just looks like there's a lot of fire around them. <laughs> did they actually did they film the movie in the school and then blow it up, or did they film the school? Uh, did they film it at a different school, like in the interiors and then the? Do you know? If, do you have any other information? Ooh, I could look that up. I don't know. Like I wonder, because it's like in the movie, the thing they like blow up the base for real in the movie, but like. All the it's the interiors were somewhere else. They weren't actually. Yeah, or like in the Dark Knight, where they built a hospital exterior just to blow it up. Um, yeah, I'm finding that it was shot on the campus of the defunct school uh, in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, that was that was also blown up at the the end of the movie. That's insane. So they shot this movie on the set and then blew it up. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. A lot of confidence that you're done. Don't need pickups. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> hmm. Wow. So. Uh, and yeah, then then Ricky, not Ricky Rialto, the other guy screaming, Steve or whatever. He he addresses the camera and uh, I don't even remember what he says, but it's feel it feels similar to the end of Gremlins, sort of. But where he's just like, this could happen to your school. Uh, but yeah, that's Rock and Roll High School, the first perfect movie we've talked about on it, this. Podcast. In a way, it is kind of perfect. <laughs> Like, you just want to see a movie that has a bunch of great music and a bunch of ridiculous, silly gags in it. Like, this is the movie for you. I saw that they've been threatening to make a remake for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, what band could you possibly get to fill the place of the remote? You'd have to make up a band. No, I can't think of any band that would work. A modern band. Like... Right. Maybe like Slipknot. Slipknot. <laughs> People <laughs> equals shit. People equals shit. Be a lot like that duality video where everyone's like moshing indoors. 
<laughs> banging on trash cans. Yeah. I just I can't think of a band that would, like has like a an image like that. It doesn't it's not really a thing anymore. Do they just have to do the Ramones again? Like get actors to play the Ramones or just do a new band or like make up a band, I mean. It wouldn't work. Yeah. I I can't think of anyone. It's a special place in time. Yeah. For this movie. Wouldn't work any other time. Um did you find any goofs, Sean? Yeah, unbelievably. I did call it a perfect film, but there are a few goofs. Um, perhaps the one that pro- that I, I think you guys might have also just caught watching it uh, is that Riff, at one point, remarks excitedly to Kate about how the Ramones are all really brothers. <laughs> uh, in fact, none of the Ramones were related to each other. It seems like a super fan would know that. <laughs> it's true. I wonder if, like people knew that back then <laughs> i mean you could probably figure it out because they they don't look that much like each other but they got the same last name yeah <laughs> everyone just assumed i guess that's kind of weird all right and i do i do have a john's rose gallery God, I love being a bad guy. Guys, this is John's Rogues Gallery. I'm on Villains Wiki right now. We've got Principal Evelyn Togar. She is an evildoer, you guys. All right, let's break down these stats. Full name, Evelyn Togar. Alias, no information. Origin, no information. (laughs) Whoa. She's like the Joker. mysterious what about this movie this movie doesn't count as the origin okay it's weird occupation school principal formerly mental patient currently (laughs) not really an occupation Mm. it's not like you say what's your occupation prisoner (laughs) (laughs) no this is fun power slash skills manipulation (laughs) cunning and education skills Yeah, she's, a, she's an educator of sorts. Sure, she is a teacher. Hobby: punishing students for their taste in music, criticizing rock music, and tormenting Riff Randall. <laughs> Goals: punish Riff Randall for her rebellion, be rid of the Ramones, and destroy the students' love for rock music. All failed. All right, here's her crimes: abuse of power, theft. Destruction of property, harassment, and unlawful punishments. All right, guys, can you tell me what kind of villain Principal Togar is? It's two words. Hmm. It's pretty smart sounding too. You guys don't have to guess if you if it's two if it's uh if you just don't. Here's have what any. I'm gonna do. I'm okay. gonna look up another principal on okay. Wiki and see. If I, I can I'm gonna allow just it. Steal that. Colin, you can do the same or not participate. It's up to okay. you. Okay. Um, now, this should be a good strategy, but Villains Wiki is just so unpredictable. So I don't really um, know what we're going to come up with. So I went with uh, Principal Trunchbull. The Trunchbull from Matilda. Yes. 
and her type of villain is an abusive disciplinarian. So that's pretty good. I'll go with that. God damn it. <laughs> I was going to use disciplinarian. Um, yeah, fuck. I'm just going to say strict disciplinarian. <laughs> you guys are painfully close. Fuck. Principal Togar is an egotistical disciplinarian. Yeah. Tough one. Very tough. Very big words. It's funny how they put a lot of work into coming up with egotistical disciplinarian, but when it came to origin, they just wrote no information. information. Like, I don't know. Uh, what's this movie called? Mm. I don't remember. Disco High? <laughs> so. All right, then. Oh, it's me! Yeah, what's gonna be uh, the pick for next episode? This is really tough, you guys, because this is like the last pick before we're doing a whole month of just new releases. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling the pressure. I actually had three movies that I was struggling between. Really more of two. I don't know. I, I kind of... I Though I do have like my number one of three. And I'm very curious to see what you guys' response will be to it. If it's very negative maybe i'll pivot but um the movie that i want to watch just because i i feel like it's uh it's kind of a it's like a budding franchise that i feel like i'm kind of out of the loop on and i want to i want to see what's going on here i'm i kind of want to watch venom you guys so we've been talking about it they're making a new one uh, but I haven't seen it. I don't know what the deal is. And now they're talking about connecting it to the Spider-Man movies. And I'm like, and I haven't seen it? It's not the most exciting pick. It's more of like, I want to I wanna know what's going on with that Venom guy. Yeah. What's going on with that I think Venom it'd be guy? fun to get into the history of the character a little bit, too. Um, even if the movie itself may suck or be boring. <laughs> You know, we've been watching some good movies lately. We need to bounce it out a little bit, okay? Yeah. We need to watch something that uh, that sucks. <laughs> Maybe. I feel you. Uh, wait, so did you have other choices? Or is that the pick? I'll, I'll give you my backup just because I don't think I'll ever pick it again. And if you guys would rather watch this movie, I'm, I'm fine to pivot. Mm-hmm. I, I was considering Dirty Work. Um, it is on Prime. I liked it as a kid, but that I'm really scared by that 14 percent. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm really scared that there's going to be something like problematic and bad in this movie that's going to make me think less of Norm Macdonald. What is the you dirty I mean? work that they're doing? What? So dirty work um, is a movie where they're like people are getting screwed over by other people so they like try to get payback for the people like mm-hmm. um the, the the big joke from the trailer is there's like this douchebag car salesman played by david keckner and they hire a bunch of prostitutes to pretend to be corpses uh in the trunks of the cars while he's doing a live commercial so all these elaborate stunts that are like pranks mm-hmm. and you got Artie lang you got norm mcdonald jack warden tom rickles um Adam Sandler makes a cameo. I think Chevy Chase is in there. It's directed by Bob Saget, one of our finest filmmakers. I don't. Would you guys rather watch? See, the thing is, like, if I don't, I feel like if I don't pick Venom, I may never watch it. Yeah. 
But I don't know, dirty work could be good too. Or bad. I don't want to tip the scales. This is your pick. I may as well watch a three hour martial arts movie. So whatever you want to do. What do you think, Colin? Yeah, I I don't really prefer either. I'd be I'd be down to watch think, either. So you can you can I think choose. I'll I think I'll go with Venom. Okay. Um, but if you guys do want to see Dirty Work on your own time, I believe it is on Prime to mm-hmm. rent. Uh, I don't think Venom's on anything right now, so you'll have, have to pay money. Oh no. Let's go with uh, let's go with Venom. I'm sure I'm gonna I'm sure I'm I'm gonna attempt to do the symbiote impression a lot, so that might be good. Oh nice. Eddie. Like a turd in the wind. <laughs> like like a turd in the wind. What? <laughs> Is that for the movie? That's the only thing I remember from the trailer. Is he threatens a guy who's like holding up a convenience store. He's like, I'm gonna kill you and throw your body away like a turd in the world. Okay, this that solidifies it. This is definitely the pick now. <laughs> With a line that good? I call you wanna take us out? Yeah. On, play an encore? Let's uh I don't know what an, what our version of an encore would be. <laughs> Uh, I guess just like rehash an old topic we've talked about too much before, or or maybe a topic. Well, I mean, our encore would be talking about mango. Talking about hey, mango. hey guys, how do you feel about using CGI to make actors look younger? Ooh, that's definitely our encore. We talk about a lot of de aging on this podcast. Yeah, not as much lately. All right, so yeah, if you want to hear us talk about de aging. You can check us out on mildlyplease.com where you can find all our past podcasts and posts about all sorts of stuff. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, And we'll be back uh, in the next week or so because, you know, we just want something to do. (laughs) 